everybody want to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Imagine making a difference. No, imagine being the difference. The difference between I can't and I can or I won't and I will. The reason someone chooses to wake up and strive for greatness. In life, it can feel like everything is working against you. Let's defy all odds and break generational curses. This is Overstepping Poverty with Daquan and Zacchaeus. Welcome back to Overstepping Poverty, the podcast that provides you with tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. My name is Daquan Brooks, and I'm here with my co-host, Zakia Shaw. How you doing, Zakias? I'm doing good, my man. Got a very special guest on the podcast today, so I'm excited to get into that. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Like yeah. Every day that we're here, it's a great day. So Yeah. What, what do you look forward to most about the podcast? Um... The future, man. I just feel like the future is very bright for this podcast. We have blazed our own path and we've done very well. Like from where we started, where it was just a thought, it was just an imagination. Now it's the real thing. We have people that really wait for Fridays to hear who we have on to learn more about the community, um, to change their perspective. So I think it's like, it's some unimaginable things. There's a vision, but it's going to be way bigger than what I can even think of. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. I love the perspectives of everybody that we have on the show. I feel like every time we have somebody on, I feel like I get better. But I also, like I mentioned on the last podcast, it's almost therapeutic. Right. You know what I mean? Just kind of talking about things that people don't usually talk about, you know, whether that's in private or in public. So today, like I said, we have a very special guest on the podcast, somebody that you know, is a sandbox baby with me. Grew up. We were together over at Majestic View here in Sioux Falls. If you don't know. Domestic. Now you know. He's a DJ. He's a father. He does a lot of different things. Very talented. Um, so to introduce Devontae Clay. Yo, yo, yo. What's going on, brother? How y'all feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Heck How are yeah. you? Doing good. Doing, Doing good, good, man. Appreciate y'all. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I appreciate you coming on. Since we've been doing the podcast, what's some of the things that you kind of liked about it or kind of allowed you to say yes to wanting to come on and do this? First and foremost, I would just want to say, like, the character of you guys. I like, know you guys personally. So, you know, there's things that we have all seen or watched on the internet or whatever the case may be and you can just kind of you get a sense of like that's not authentic Mm -hmm. so for me it was just having a relationship with both of you and kind of growing up with both of you and having my own experience with both of you guys and I like the movement love the movement you guys are leading by example you guys are hardworking men you guys are providers so anytime it's something like that you ain't got to beg me to be a part of nothing. So, Like I said, I appreciate you coming on. That's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on as well. For me, I guess I can speak for myself. I think you have a great story. I think you have a story that there are a lot of people that can relate to. 
a lot of times there's misconceptions built around people based off knowing you from high school or knowing you from childhood or knowing you from the workplace, whatever. Um, but people don't ever really take the time to actually get to know somebody, right? Everybody has a shell up and yeah, man, I'm just excited to get into this. So do you have anything you want to say before we start? Asking no, I'm questions just, I'm, I'm super appreciative that you said yes to coming on here. You know, there's one thing I always know is whenever we're out and about, everyone has their own perspective of DJ Vante, you know, and like he said, there's more to it. There's more to the story that people need to hear. They need to know exactly who you are, how you got there, because it's a fantastic story. And so that's why, you know, like I said, we want to shine that light. Mm-hmm. We want to get all that information out there so that everybody can know the the real Vante. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the first thing I want to do is I have an understanding of who you are, and I may have my own perspective of you. But from your perspective, can you kind of take us through your journey through childhood, growing up through high school, and eventually leading to where we're at today? I'm a um, South Dakota native, born and raised here. Four, three other siblings in my household, single parent household, raised by my father. Mom wasn't in the picture at all. Was that always or was that at a certain age? I think from what I remember or from what I was told, from what I know, about six months. Oh, wow. So, however, granted that happened, you know, that's something that I've been able to, I've been fortunate enough to be able to carry uh, on my back and use to my advantage. Yeah. Um, and she's back now. Wow. So she lives here. She actually lives with me. Wow. And so, yeah, okay. we've, um, I've let that go a long time ago. Now it's about, it's about the bigger picture. You yeah. know, I got two kids enjoy her company and they like being around her. So it's, it's dope to get to see, you know, her be around in a different kind of fashion. You yeah, know? for sure. So, you know, although it wasn't, you know, what every child probably deserves or needs, not probably, but what every child needs, right. um, two parents growing up, but you know, things happen and you we roll with it. For sure. So raising a single parent household went to like various different elementary schools around here. I think I went to Lowell Horseman, Lord Wilder with the Quan. Yeah. We'll Jefferson. get into that a little later. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Jefferson. <laughs> uh, where else did I go? I went to I went to some. What do you call them? They're not like alternative. Al- school? I went to a few alternative schools. Okay, I was exposed to a lot of stuff as a kid. Right. So, like, what I see now, you know, depending on where I'm at in the community, and you know what I've seen from working various jobs, like, there's a lot of kids that are just exposed to things that are altering their course of growth at their current state. So granted, you know, I was cared for and I had all these things, but I was also surrounded by some things that probably a kid shouldn't have been around, whether that be drugs or certain kind of sexual things, adults display or things like that. Right. I remember this one time I put my cousin's jacket on and went to school with it. Favorite cousin, by the way. And I get to school, jacket smell like weed. The only kid in a leather jacket, probably two sizes too fucking big. I'm smelling like some of that loud. <laughs> and right. teacher is kind of like, well, let me see your jacket. So search, searching my jacket. I'm like, shit, here go the jacket. Like, I'm not thinking nothing of it. Right. Pulls out two sticks. Oh, wow. Right in the classroom. So it was just 
you know, being in an environment where it's like I grew up, I had I gained knowledge of things before my time, before right. I mm-hmm. should have. Had to grow up too soon, maybe. Yeah, a little too quick. And then you know, pops was real southern strict, and he had his his ways of doing things too that you know were kind of like. And for real, this is what you went through as a kid, or like this is kind of like how you right. was handled as a kid, because this is mm-hmm. like this is rough, bro. Like, right. One of my brothers went to prison when I was about nine, eight or nine. From that point on, I had to wash everybody's clothes, start learning how to cook, cooking the meal, prepping the meal, and it was for me. It kind of felt like a lot of my childhood, after a certain point, was. I didn't have one. I couldn't do certain shit. I was angry all the time. I had an attitude. We bumped heads. He was sick. The majority of Your my father? childhood. Yeah, he had diabetes and stuff. And so he was kind of, he was struggling with his own personal battles and things. And I was just there. Like right. I had my opportunities where I was able to go play with friends or family members or, you know. But that was, to me, it seemed kind of rare. Like I was always you know, looked at as like, nah, you know, he don't listen. Uh, he can't do this. He he ain't got no respect. He woo right. woo. But it was like one of those situations where it's like, what do you expect of somebody that's in an environment that he didn't create? Yeah. So it's like, of course I'm going to be angry. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you're angry. He was angry because he was struggling with what he had going on and he was the only parent in the household. Yeah. So the, a lot of what was going on was projection. Then my brother was in prison. You know, my sister didn't live here. Um, my older brother was out doing what 20-year-olds do with his friends. Right. So it was just kind of one of them situations for a while where it was just, like, very negative. And I took on a lot of that anger and hostility. And it was, like, to the point where it was, like, if you're not somebody I affiliate with or that I have a certain amount of respect for, it could go wherever you want it to go. And that started like when I was a kid, like a teacher, adult, like it really didn't matter to me. Like if one of those things go wrong and I'm there already. Cause I, yeah. I kind of was, was like that on a daily basis. So I had to learn over time, like to relax and, you know, not be so quick to fight and not be so quick to be argumentative and aggressive. Right. Like when I tell you that's been a journey in itself, that's that's one of those things where it's kind of like for a long time I just kind of felt like a caged pit almost, you know. But did you ever have anybody as you were growing up that you felt was kind of trying to put you on the right track? Yeah, I had a few people. Um, D, one of my other brothers, and then my cousin Chico. Mm. They definitely were trying to like. They had me playing. I played football for not only the school, but I played for the city. Right. So it was one of those things like, you know, they were kind of seeing what was going on and kind of like how I was living at certain points. And it was like, no, we got to do something. We got to do something to ensure that, you know, there's some success that comes out of that. Right. Like, so they definitely. Because you had. Yeah. The talent was always there. The potential. It was always there. It was just. It's almost like one wrong misstep and all of that was gone. Right. So they took it upon themselves to put me in sports and, no, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to train. One of their friends was a trainer. Right. So I did that during the summertime. 
Now, the one that I probably could relate to more as far as like attitude and demeanor was Chico. Cause it's like, he's somebody too. That was kind of like, nah, fam, this ain't, this ain't one of those situations. Like we're going to, we going to keep this respectful or it's going to, y'all going to need a lot of help. Right. So that's kind of yeah. always been yeah. my perspective and attitude when it comes to certain situations as well. So he was probably more of the vocal one as far as being able to talk through things right. that he could relate to himself. At mm-hmm. what point did you start to be able to, and I know it's a work in progress always, but start to handle those aggressions a little bit better as far as not reacting right away to somebody? I think where it clicked in my head and became, I would say, like priority to where I was like, no, nah, like I'm, this isn't what I'm going to end up like. I'd probably say like seventh, eighth grade. Oh, really? I was in alternative school and, uh, you know, just was getting tired of the same old song and dance of the day to day. This is where I got to go. I don't get to go to regular school. My my friends, I got to take the city bus and, you know, walk to the bus or I got to, you know, just a lot of stuff. And I was late a lot right. to like school, you know, because, again, pops are sick, all those things and just kind of had his own thing going on. So there was just a lot of things taking place that were like, weren't necessarily in my control, but I paid for that. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was probably about seventh grade. I was walking to the bus to go back to my alternative school because I started doing half days and I was kind of thinking to myself like, no, I'm cool on this. Like I'm good. Like there's whatever I got to do to start getting positive repetitions going as far as outlook on things and how I deal with people and how I talk to people. And how I respond to people, like, I'm I'm ready to do that and shit. By the time I was, I think I was back in public school before halfway through eighth grade. Yeah. And Once you set your mind to something. Yeah. Right. And then look back from there. Obviously still had those things, you know, throughout high school. And even throughout my adulthood where it's just like, I have to check myself sometimes. Because, like, I just think it's kind of, I feel like you shouldn't be able to get so mad like to yeah. where where it's like I feel like those who harbor maybe y'all can relate to that coming from where I come from, but being able to f- harbor so much frustration and like anger to where you feel like you can pick up a house like that's just dangerous if you don't use it right the right way. So right. it's definitely been one of those things that you know I still have to be like all right no I can let that slide I can you know being that is conscious what it is. of it yeah too. just being conscious being mindful of what the next step is going to be and right. when you get to a point where you got things that you look at as valuable businesses, career path, kids, house, like that makes you calm down. Yeah. Like, and you got stuff to lose compared to the next yeah, person. Right. If you're emotionally intelligent enough to recognize that, that forces you to change some of the, your behavior. Yep. So. And I can absolutely relate to that, especially at a young age. That's actually where we were in the conversation of where I met you, you know, Laura Wilder. I mean, it was the best, worst years of my life, you know. Why did you look Um, at him like that? But but no, 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 no. We're going to get into that because, you know, I wanted to know, like, more of the story 
behind that because I met hostile Devante, you know, and I was too. I was a very angry kid as well. And so, you know, at one point we did clash and I, that was my first fight I ever lost. (laughs) Um, And uh, anyways, after that fight, I'm like, no, we have to be friends now because (laughs) I can't lose again. You you can't lose to friends. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, uh, but no, it's a lot of weight like that you carry on your shoulders and it's so easy that that chip because one little thing it just sets you off and it's so easy just to black out i mean there was plenty of times when i was just so upset just so angry where i couldn't think straight there was nothing besides just darkness you know and for you to at a young age i mean seven seventh eighth grade like you said to finally click in your head and say hey the path that i'm going on is only destroying myself you know, because yeah. people don't learn that stuff until they're like 30s, 40s, 50s, where they've already lost well, everything. Late, exactly. They've lost everything. And, and then all of a sudden they're in the same position where we're in, where we're like, okay, well, you're 16, 17 year old self, you know, what would you change? Yeah. Well, they're 50 and they're like, I should change. I wanted to change something when I was 30, you know, so right. we're ahead of that. We're ahead of that. But like for you to do that, at that young age, that's kudos to you. You know, that's how you become the person you are today. And it's just kind of being aware of like the system, the school system that we have here that, you know, is garbage. But I feel like even then, like the program, you know, that's now known as Boys Town was Bridges. Yeah. Um, And then you had the Flex program, which were these were alternative schools for elementary. I'm sure they still have them around. But it was just like certain people working in them, um, those jobs. It's just like this is a check. Like, a lot of right. these people aren't invested in that. What also made that hard for me was having to deal with some of the staff members that were a part of these programs and principals, and it was just like, it almost felt like, nah, like, you need this for whatever reason. It's almost like you don't really want to see me prosper from here. Because I feel right. like if you did, there's just ways you don't talk to a kid mm-hmm. that you know struggles with certain things. Like, you have right. to be able to talk. And but what I've learned, because I worked in the school district um, a few years back as a behavior facilitator, but one thing I know for a fact is this: a lot of these people feel like because they go to college for four years to work with humans or kids or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, that no, they got it figured out. We know what we're doing, and you know this is what this is how this works because right. this is what this book says. And my thing is this: and you didn't go through that, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, mm-hmm. and a kid can see that. Like, right. I was one of those kids that you can feel when somebody's full of shit. Mm-hmm. And I was able to watch that from a different perspective, working in the school, watching kids deal with other teachers. And it was just like, there's a lack of trust there for a reason. Yeah. Like, there's something that you're not picking up on. So when you have something that people can relate to and you can grab that kid and be like, hey, come here, bro. Right. And talk to them a certain kind of way. Now you're building relationships that are changing the trajectory of where this kid is currently headed at. And certain people, you know, that's just kind of going to be what it is. Like, you can't save everybody. There's a saying, everybody can't go. But, you know, for the ones that, you know, are fortunate enough, there's definitely something that can be done about that. But that was just kind of one of the things, too, for me. It was just, like, realizing, like, where I'm at. And, you know, for me, it was just, like, this community really at that time wasn't set. It's not set up for people like me right. nowadays. It's hard. 
from what we've experienced, because I think you've worked with kids and you were in the school district as well. It's hard to almost get a kid into that program now, as opposed to back then. It was just like, oh, no, get him out of here. Well, I feel like a lot of it, I mean, it's always going to be about the relationships, especially in those settings. I mean, you can have somebody that comes off the street and potentially can make better relationships with a lot of those kids right off the bat, just based off of commonality, knowing how to talk to each other. Real struggle. Um, And just, yeah, so a bond as far as that goes. So that's definitely something that I think is needed more, which is why there's more diversity that's needed in every situation, just because you have different types of representation to where a kid of any color can look up and see somebody that looks like them. Right. So I think that that's super important, which why it's important that we did put those times into working in the school district, whether we like how the school district does things or not. I think it's kind of irrelevant at some points because the kids don't really get to choose, you know? So like it's important to still be there and we need more people. I mean, I look at the coaching in Sioux Falls and all the stuff and a struggle that I've had is we had a, the first all minority coaching staff at O'Gorman and we go to other school, other public schools in Sioux Falls and there's literally kids from those schools that would walk behind our bench and kind of talk shit <laughs> about like what, yo, why are you guys coaching at O'Gorman? You're not at a school like this, right? Where there's people that look like you that need Feeling you. some kind of way. And what a lot of people don't really understand is, especially in Sioux Falls, we applied at those schools facts multiple times and they don't hire us. It just, things work in a weird way, but we definitely need more people out coaching and getting in there, helping people. And it's one of those things here where, and this is another thing we've all been able to see. It's a lot of buddy, buddy system bullshit. You know, what group is affiliated with who it's definitely one of those, you know, who, you know, type of situations. And, that's why we've been watching the same coaching staffs for 10, 15 plus years. And yeah. it's just like, Definitely it's time for a change. change. Yep. It's time this. Because if you look at, I just feel like, and maybe you would disagree or maybe you'll agree, but we're behind in a lot of stuff. I feel like education for sure. Um, sports for sure. There has been some changes within the last decade that I, that I like. Um, but we're still behind in a lot of things. And it's like, you know, when people realize that there's a new wave, yeah, it's time mm-hmm. to get the fuck out the way. I definitely like seeing strong black male figures and play certain places as such as teaching, coaching, whatever the case may be, because it's just a different element brought to the situation. And right. a lot of these kids that need these things that, that we're speaking on are minorities of some type of group or they look like us. That's been something of mine too that I I didn't like, that I don't like. I don't like seeing gatekeeping. It's just the same old song and dance. It's like, it's time to come up with something new because there's more than what, you know, is being displayed. Right. And then you just have that, that affects the students, you know, kids being treated differently, um, not being able to get certain amount of playing time, um, because somebody knows this person's dad or they fucking hang out together on the weekends and right. drink bush light. That's like, the relationship on, piece to it. Yeah. That's why, you know, it, it's not fair and it's not right by any means. No, that's why we here though. 
Exactly. So like that's why that, but also like that's why it's important to be involved in those types of things, not necessarily so that your son plays, but so that your voice, I feel like, actually can be heard and make a difference. I want to take this after high school, right? I remember there was a time I was in college. I would come back. Uh, You were in college, too, but we started to live together. We did. We lived together for a little bit. Can you kind of take me through that time? Because I know we have different perspectives on how that time of our lives were, you know, with me having my best friend, literally we stayed in the same bed with each other for, I don't even know how long. Shit. What about a month or two? Yeah. Can you take me through that and kind of, if you can think back to where you were at, at that time in your life and kind of how you went through that and kind of grew. Shit, man. At that point in time, it was, it was right when I decided kind of to stop going to college and when things kind of started to be like, you know, get a little gray. I was staying with my brother at the time who I stayed with off and on throughout high school. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, he made an executive decision of his household and it was kind of like, nah, you have to like figure this out. You know, like you have to pretty much I was told to leave. And there was people that I, you know, stayed with off and on. I had my own car. I worked and stuff like that. But I just wasn't maybe doing things that people thought I should have been doing at the time. Mm. So I was just bouncing around. And I was now ne- I've never been one of those dudes to where it's like, oh, I'm a if I'm messing with this girl or whatever the case may be, I'm gonna live off her. Right. Like because so, there was there was some of that too where it was just like, well, you talking to so and so, so why don't you that's not who I've ever been. I'm right. not finna do none of that. To me, I think that's real cornball shit. Excuse my French, but so it was in certain things I probably made hard on myself for having a certain kind of mentality, but I look back on it and I wouldn't change it like that. It helped me in the long run. Yeah. Pretty much. I remember the day where I reached out to you. We, me and my brother had got into it just about a lot of stuff about how, you know, how I've been feeling and certain things that go on, certain things that get said and, you know, probably what he thought I should have been doing at that time. Right. Um, you know, looking, probably looking at it from an older brother perspective, you know, he's not, he wasn't my sure. parent. My dad was in Louisiana at the time. You know, he was starting to get a little more sickly, so he would leave for the winter and then come back type of situation. We ended up getting to it, and, you know, I packed up all my stuff. And I remember all my stuff was in a, in his closet. So I literally, for the majority of my high school, had all of my clothes in somebody's closet. Right. Whether that was at D House, whether that was at Jen House, on the east side across the street from Washington High School. Like, I didn't have my own room for, like, shit. I didn't get my own room until probably 2014. Wow. After a certain point in time in my life. That was after high school. That was shit. Yeah, because that was after high school. Like, because throughout high school, I didn't have that. Right. Middle school, I did. Freshman, you know, I'll, I'll take that back. Probably up until my Sophomore year was the last time I had my own room. So that was in 2010, 2011. Yeah. It was probably the first time my dad had left and went to Louisiana. We had to get rid of the house. Um, I remember this vividly because me and Tank was dropped off over there. Middle of winter, no heat in the crib. And we had to pack it up. 
Damn. My dad wasn't here, and they was dropping us off. Like, this is what they would do. They'd pick us up. Y'all want something neat? Go get us the little windy special, little chicken sandwich, and a little Sprite, and a little medium fry. Mm-hmm. You know, set us up. <laughs> All right, yeah, y'all better go over here and do this shit. We get in the crib. It's cold. Yeah. Ain't no heat. My dad had a big fish tank. All the fish is dead. This man had, he hoarded a lot of things, like mail. And then I went, my little cousin Tank, and he, he you know, he's younger than me. He don't want to do this shit. Like, and I feel him. Like, he complained the whole time. Right. <laughs> he trying to get picked up. So just like a lot of that stuff was just like, bro, what the hell is going on? So after that point, I moved my stuff into a closet. And it was like that until I went to my other brother's house um, at some point in 2014, I say at the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah, yep. And had my own room then at that point in time. But that lasted maybe a few months, probably till that summer. And then I ended up back at my brother's house. And then I think that's when we had got into that disagreement. And then I hit you like, hey, bro, I need a place to stay. And I remember us rocking that out for maybe a month, month and a half. And... I was working at a job at NCB Management Services. Mm-hmm. Hated that place. <laughs> I did not like that job whatsoever. Like, right. Every day just felt like a struggle. Like I was doing something I didn't love. I wasn't playing ball, which was the only thing I wanted to do at that time. Yeah. I came back to play ball, and it didn't work out for me. I remember you were always you were down in Vermilion, uh, going to USD, and both of you guys were actually. And, you know, things didn't work out at the college I was at in Iowa. And so I was like, in my mind, well, I'm going to transfer and play there. And that's what we're going to do. I already had some looks from them in high school, and there was some sort of relationship there. I can be, I, I can do that. Long story short, letter recommendation didn't pan out. I had to go to STI. Well, now I'm back in the city around everybody I grew up with. Now we're traveling to Vermilion Wednesday right. nights char bar <laughs> and yeah. uh we partying now so now my grades go from like a 3.8 to fucking 2.8 right and it's just like i'm getting by like my i got all c's now went from all a's and b's to i got all c's maybe a few b's so right i just started to slack a little bit and it started to catch up with me and i think that i was still in that mindset of like just mad. I was mad at the situation of how high school ended. I was mad at myself for not doing what, because I felt like I had a strong chances to go to the league based on how, what type of athlete I was. And so I feel like I was letting myself down. I feel like people around me were looking at me that way. Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot with athletes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it was just now I'm being looked at a certain kind of way. So just starting to harbor some of that, those insecurities or, Mm. you know resentment i was mad at my family for a while because it was just one of those things where i I got to be a part of a team where there was kids that had a system behind them right Mm -hmm. i'm utilizing a gary for an example dude worked out like two times a day aside from whatever connections his parents had he put that work in and but he had a community he had friends and he had family behind him and he had people that you know, looked at his family a certain kind of way towards like, now nah, we're going to support this kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him and his older brother, very talented. Matt Gary, too, dog on the football field. Right. So it was just, you know, I was looking at a lot of these situations. I'm just like, so what the hell, what the hell are we doing? 
Like, how is it that, you know, these people notice what they got and they backing it? They getting behind it. Like, this is a eat, sleep, drink thing. Like, this Breathing isn't it, a, yeah. hey, we're going to do this and then we're going to check back with you. It's like, no, this is a daily process. Right. And that man went to the league. Like, you need a team. Like, you don't do things by yourself. Like, so it sounds like you learned a lot from just being able to watch that from a facts. I played with him. Like he, I was a senior, he was a junior. Like I watched and I didn't grow up with Nate. I wasn't a part of that friend group. But like once we both got to high school, like I watched him turn into what he was. I got to play football with him. So that's awesome. And I got to see who was around him and how his parents were and, you know, just kind of the support that he had. And it was like, I was looking at that and it was, and it made me mad because I come from, one of them situations where, you know, sometimes black folks have a thing where, you know, they don't really want to take accountability for the negatives or the shortcomings family wise. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, oh, you know, you if it's positive. Yeah, you got that from me. Yeah, you you did this this and this. But if it's I'm acting this way because of you. No, that ain't that ain't no, that ain't no. What, like what were we supposed to do? Woo, woo, woo. So right. there was a time where I was real hot. Like a lot of animosity. What? Like, yeah. one of those things where it's just like, I'm just thankful that I had a, enough respect in myself to never take it anywhere further than just being angry. Yeah, absolutely. With so what I want to know is because a lot of people, they, they find that foundation. And obviously your foundation was there. It wasn't easy. But I feel like you've learned a lot from that, you know, through the trials, through the hard times. What I want to know exactly is how did you instill that and help you get to where you're at today? Well, should I hit bottom? Yeah. That's ultimately what has to happen. Unfortunately, in cert- certain situation, I feel like to a lot of people, like you have to hit a certain point. There's only a few things that make people change or make people want to change. Yeah. And one of those things is, you know, something drastic happening in your life whether it's happening to you or to somebody around you that affects you or how you think. I went from sleeping on the, in that bed with you as damn near two grown men and to sleeping in my car after that for probably another month. And then I went from there to, you know, having to knock on my brother's door in the morning, brush my teeth so I can go to work. So then I went from there to one of my friends had gotten a jam and I had came up on some little insurance money from a car situation. And so I paid dues rent. So he ain't lose his apartment. So then we stayed there. It was a studio. He had a dog. So it was just like congested. We ended up butting heads. So it was just like then I'm with Kiera Randall at her house, at her apartment. Right. So I was just like bouncing around. And then I was at, and one thing that I was trying to do at that point in time was I was supposed to move to Arizona. So I was also banking on that with Lee. And, you know, that fell through. So it just almost felt like everything was going against what I was wanting. And that was like mm-hmm. trying to tell me something like what yeah. I, those things weren't aligning. Right. I wanted to go do this, but it felt like every time I felt like I was getting close to that, something else would happen telling me that I needed to mm-hmm redirect my focus and something right. needed me here. So that falls through. I don't go to Arizona. And then it was one of those, it's like 2015. I get my first apartment by myself. That's kind of when I was like, shit, well, I don't want to go back to how I was just living. Right. So 
That's where you were starting to build that. That's where I started initial foundation. Initial foundation of like what I need to do and how I need to do it and what kind of a focus I need to have. I probably work 50 plus hours a week. I had enough energy to, I didn't have no kids then. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't have uh, none of that. So I had enough energy to still go to the gym and do everything I need to do party. But for the most part that I learned a lot about myself living by myself for that, that year. Yeah. What are some of the things you learned? Shit. It's, it's you. It's just, it's you and only you. What the things you do and the things you prioritize is either going to give you the outcomes you want or the outcomes you don't want. Mm. For me, it was like, I'm not, I witnessed enough growing up to where it was like, I had bulletin boards in my mind of like, this is not what type of man I'm going to be. Right. It's not how I'm going to act. I'm not going to be living house to house or, you know, with girls and I'm not doing none of that. Kind so of like, like principles you want to do. Yeah. I started to like form those boundaries and those, you know, those, my morals and things started to show themselves. And I kind of just held on to those and was like, nah, this is what we doing. How did that lead to what you're doing now with DJing? Cause I feel like that's something that, You've been doing it for a while now, but really not that long when you look at the whole picture, right? So, right. like, things have kind of progressed to a point now where you have, basically, you know, a residency, basically, with, with Lucky's here in town to where you're doing shows every so often, yeah. right? Can you tell us about that, really, where how you even got into DJing, why you got into DJing and eventually how you got to where you're at now with that. I was uncomfortable with what I was doing for work. I think while, when I lived by myself, I was, I sold suits at one point in time. I sold cars, worked at pro image. Like there was sold shoes and it was just not good enough. Right. Like I always had this internal thing where it's like, no, this ain't good enough. Like I need something I need to find something I like or I love doing that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of figuring out things that I like to do. And then that's how I stumbled on working with the kids. Right. From there, it was just like, you know, I always had this thing for music. So I was always singing, dancing growing up. I was in a church choir as a kid. Right. And uh, my cousin that's going to come on, actually, possibly, DJ Dante is uh, this about seven to ten years ago. We started hanging out a lot, and I would go to his house almost every day, and we would just kick it. He was starting his DJing journey, and so he had equipment and stuff set up in his room. And after we would hang out for a little bit, I'd be like, "Hey, man, can I go check this out?" You know, he right. one of them dudes that was kind of like, "Hey, cuz, <laughs> don't be breaking my shit, cuz." <laughs> So like, I'm like, all right, bro. So <laughs> he started, you know, I started getting familiar with that. And then it was just like, I just started putting two to, two and two together. They had club Dave. Well, it started at Biggs first. So we're going to Biggs and he was DJing at Biggs. And then he went to David's. I was bringing the party, some of the party to the event once we got to Davis. Because, you know, then I'm mm-hmm. always out and about. And then, you know, as life started to change and started to slow down for me, I was just like, you know what? What can I do to contribute to what my family's doing right now? Right. I was like, I think I want to learn how to DJ. 
So Dante definitely played a role in that. And then so what he did was he had this little board that he started with, gave me a few songs, gave me the board. And then from there, it was just like a slow grind. Just started learning it. Just started more learning and more. it. He gave me some videos. And then he had to start learning the song. Like I already have a nice knowledge of music, you know, a wide range of knowledge of music. So just trying to put that together in my own right. Right. So just trying to starting off small, I'll DJ your birthday party. Right. For fifty dollars. Just to get my name out there. Mm-hmm. Or did you do any events for free? I did. I did. Why is that important? If you're not willing to be underpaid for something, you'll never be overpaid. Mm. So there's definitely some things I did, if uh, not for free, for a low price. Right. I've DJed in places that didn't have any traffic. Right. Just because that's how strongly I believed in myself and what I wanted to do. Like music is something I love to do, so it doesn't feel like work. Right. So I've definitely made sacrifices within that. And I, I remember DJing at Club David's, you know, like they already had their own thing set up. So I wasn't a part of the money. You know, DJ Dante took it upon himself at times when it got to a certain point to be like, OK, you know, here, you know, here and there, you know, making right. sure that there was some sort of positive return on the work I was putting in. But there was things where just like, man, this is kind of daunting like it's not really me feeling like i know people or know have a, because i'm from here when i started doing my own thing it was just like i'm a, it's gonna be easy shit there was a place where man i was there every weekend it felt like and nothing two people two people here and there then i started doing weddings i remember my first wedding um that I ever did, I charged 800 bucks for that wedding. That's low. That's low. Right. Like, given where we're at, what all these DJ companies here, that is, like, probably below market. At least market. a couple thousand. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, right? easily. No. So I definitely had, you know, to sacrifice some things and grind and network and get to know people and invest in myself and really just – Stick to the mission and, you know, ended up going out to Omaha and to DJ for a, an artist. And we mm. go to this spot afterwards and they don't have a DJ in there. And I was asking the lady, her name is Shelby, by the way. And I was like, so what's the bar? Bar 39. Okay. In Omaha. In Omaha. Yeah, Blackstone. So, and I was, you know, kind of asking, like, where's the DJ? Like, you guys don't have a DJ in here? Because I had a DJ booth and everything set up. Right. Oh, well, he's out with COVID. Well, I just had got done DJing. At business cards. Perfect. Well, if y'all ever looking for another DJ, whatever, whatever, here you go. Call me the next day. That was about almost two years ago. Wow. I've been down there DJing ever since. And I've had the luxury to, you know, build a relationship with the GM there. And then I've DJed at their other places of business that they wow. have. And I've been able to network down there and recently got connected with this lady that does weddings that, you know, she's busy and she wants to work with me too. So everything has slowly but surely started to come to fruition that right. you know, I kind of wanted to do. Right. That's, That's awesome. good. Yeah. What do you see and like envision your life in the next five years? Like with DJing and everything? Like, well, my goal is to actually be with an artist. By when? 
That's a good question. I would say definitely within the next five years. But I feel like I've had to reconstruct that a little bit. That's a goal of mine. But right now it seems like other things that are starting to take place are more prominent. Mm. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm going with the flow. Like, obviously, you know, I still have that in the back of my mind. However, where things are currently going, I'm fine with that, too. Um, I think, for me, my biggest thing from where I come from is by the time I'm 32, I want to be making over 100K a year. And based on the work I've been putting in and mixing that with, you know, the talent that I bring to what I do, I think, you know, um, I'll hit that before. Yeah. What, so what does that do for your family? You think Whew. it gives first and foremost, it gives my kids a different lifestyle, different than I had. Yeah. So they'll have more opportunities. You know, I grew up playing one sport yeah. <laughs> and that's, it was $75 to sign up playing for the uh, South Dakota football league. But I just want my kids to be able to experience and do whatever. Right. Whatever they want to do. And, you know, I want to be able to take them wherever. And that's just travel. Experience. Experience different things in life. And it also, me hitting those kind of goals, it'll take pressure off of, you know, other people involved. Like there's people, there's a, there's a village. For sure. You know, because it takes a village to raise kids. You know, their mom, my mom, uh, their other grandma, they call her Nina. Right. So there's just like a lot of things and a lot of people that, you know, contribute. And I would like to make everybody's life as easy as possible. I like that. So I like that. Absolutely. You know, before we get into our next part of our podcast, what I'd like to know exactly, obviously you said yes to getting on here and uh, joining the over seven property. I mean, it's a movement, you know, so what does over seven poverty mean to you? Saying that that's where I come from. A few of us come from there. To me, that means making sure that you put yourself in a position to where history doesn't have to repeat itself. Mm. We all know how poverty feels um, and has felt. I'm sure there's probably specific instances where we can all think back to where it was just like, man, there's some poor ass shit mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's going on right now. And yeah, in one way or another. In one way or right. another. So it's just kind of like having that in the back of my mind to where it's like, nah, I, I can't, I'm not going out like that. Right. There was, uh, you know, just when my father passed away, there wasn't nothing really set up to change the ju- the trajectory of the family. It was like, right. you know, sell this asset here and there. Y'all divvy that up. It is what it is. But for the most part, nothing changed. So that's another thing of mine, like having that life insurance, those life insurance policies set up, um, being aware, being educated of certain things to where regardless of what happens, my family's going to be good. And then also having that thing that you can pass down. Right. You know? So, you know, right now with the skill set that I have and what I'm doing with it, I can literally pass this down to my son if that's what he wants to do. Right. Or my daughter, if that's what she wants to do. So, just being able to give tools to where your seeds can utilize them for their benefit to where this keeps going this way. Yep. Keeps um, getting better. My main goal is to create generational wealth for my, my people. So yeah. by any means necessary. But yes, yeah, so I'll say to me, that's kind of what over seven property is. I love it. I love it. 
you know, and this is the part of our episode where we actually open it up to what we call round table. So this is where you can ask us questions, get anything off the top of your head that you've been wanting to ask us since we started this podcast. So why don't you fire away and just go ahead and ask them. <laughs> don't be scared. Y'all sure? Yeah. <laughs> no. <I'm> yeah. <laughs> um, How did you lose that fight? It's more wild. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that you brought that up, bro. Yeah. What were you thinking? Man, that's a good question. You know, because the being, size being, difference is kind of similar, kind of right now. Like he was always this much taller and bigger than me. Mm. <laughs> See what happened was <laughs> it was icy that day. <laughs> Somebody yelled my name. <laughs> I, I turned around and sucker punched. This is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, I plead the fifth. Let's move on. <laughs> Wasn't I playing kickball? I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was minding my business. <laughs> For sure, I feel it. I respect it. Um, you know, we ain't we ain't gonna get in all that. But you know what? I do want to touch on though. He was one of them kids that. So after the scuffle happens, right? Because from what I remember, I'm playing kickball. He's not even a part of the game. Like, real asshole shit on his part. I think I kick the ball. He takes it. Won't give it back to nobody. <laughs> no, you guys. And then I go to get it from him, and he runs and kicks it. Sounds as a kid, like that Duquan. shit pisses you off, bro. Like, what? As an adult. As an adult. <laughs> he said as an adult. So he takes the ball, kicks it. And this is that part where I had to learn, like, he really didn't do shit to me at that point in time. But it was just like, oh, now I'm going to fuck you up. Like I said, I was minding my own business. <laughs> <laughs> so we get inside. We both go into the office. I got my ass whipped for this, by the way. But right, only rightfully I, so. <laughs> you both did. Right. <laughs> right. I took, he took the first thing. I took the second one from yeah. my pops when I got home because I lied about what happened. So we walking down the hallway, and when we get in, and the teacher's trying to separate us, and Daquan is, you know, looking at me, and he's like, sticks his tongue out, mm. <laughs> being one of them kids, like, you want to go again? And I'm like, boy, like you ain't <laughs> learned yet. So we get to the, we get to the office, and I'm in there cutting up. My dad comes and picks me up, and he's like, so what happened at school today? And I had a choice. I made the wrong one. I was like, you know what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened at all. Right. We good. Come on from church. Man, that office left that message on the phone. I said, God damn. <laughs> it was a wrap. Where is Jesus when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> but no, Daquan was, other than that situation, like, he was cool. Mm -hmm. He did remind me of one of those kids that was just like, regardless of what happened to him, he was not going to stop talking shit. Mm -hmm. And throughout his life, he's used that to his benefit. This is true. Yeah. How are you able to do that? Honestly, it was taking that negative energy where all I wanted to do, I mean, I wanted attention when I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. when I did that, it was because I was begging for attention because yeah. I wasn't getting it, you know, at home or anything like that. At that point in time, I also felt like I had to prove myself, you know? So if I was fighting anybody, it was going to be you, you know? <laughs> so, uh, Win, lose, or draw. Exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> and that was something that I finally started to really realize as I was growing up that I was just continuing to fight. That's all I wanted. And that wasn't going to better me. That wasn't going to do anything for me. Right. And so it's that maturity. You finally, it finally clicks. That maturity is like, listen, 
If you're not doing something that's going to better you today, then all it's going to do is just continue to hold you down. And I was done being held down. You know, mm-hmm. I had all the excuses and stuff. So respect. That's how I use it to continue to build success in my life and build success in others. No, that's dope, man. You definitely are somebody that, you know, I acknowledge their mental toughness and their intelligence. I think you wrote a nice essay in high, uh, college to a professor. A nice, well-constructed one at that. <laughs> Putting, put, what was it, a lady? Mm. Putting her in her, her spot, you know, with the culture in mind. So, like, you definitely have a way with words, and you, you're strong-minded, and I've always respected that. So. I appreciate that. You know, regardless of the ass whooping. <laughs> <laughs> You, are, you you cool with me, man. Why can't we be friends? <laughs> <laughs> but wait, this dude. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> let's talk about Zach. Let's talk yeah, about let's Zach. Let's talk about, about Zach. That? Let's do it. Um, How did you utilize different things to kind of deal with some of your frustration? Because we grew up, like you said, majestic view. But I think... What we know it as is domestic view. There's a lot of bullshit going on over there. You were an angry kid at times, too. Really well-mannered, I feel like, more so than I was and maybe everybody else that we were around. But you had this kind of sneaky explosion that could happen here and there. Like that time you bit me at daycare. (laughs) I'm the type of person that will cry when they're pissed off enough. So I think if you're somebody that gets to that point it takes a lot usually and at that point you guys have talked about blacking out or i definitely had to have been instigated (laughs) to do something like that first and foremost honestly growing up i think it's been different at every stage but a lot of it growing up i would just i wouldn't tell nobody i got really good in middle school and high school going to school and you wouldn't know anything that happened. You would think life is great. And I've said it before, not that it was bad or terrible or anything like that, but you know, definitely in an environment that most people weren't in. So I would just conceal it. I was raised and grown up on what happens in this household stays stays in in this household and it's nobody else's business. And my loyalty, uh, would not allow me to go out into public and, make people think that anything was going on or any situation was happening. Like that's just kind of how I was raised. So a lot of times I would just keep it to myself. I wouldn't really address it. Sports helped a lot, you know, but there's definitely some people that get you to that point where you gotta let them have it. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I definitely, you know, that was one of those things too, for me, where it's like, what happens in here stays in here, but yep. <laughs> I'm telling. <laughs> I'm telling. <laughs> I got my ass whooped one day because I missed the bus and I went to school and told I could not sit down. You need to sit down. I can't. Why? Because I got a whooping. Right. We need to go to the office. Cool. Because somebody needs to hear what happened to me <laughs> <laughs> this morning anyway. Yeah. So seriously though, but yeah, no, that wasn't that wasn't how I was, and I didn't get my ass whooped. That's well, the difference, bad. maybe. Of where it was more of a intimidation or yelling or emotional, that type of stuff. So it was like, and that's where I got good at that type of stuff. Because then being in those environments, even with the quantum, we'd be in college and people just wouldn't like us. 
We wouldn't really know why. Well, I've seen why. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to kind of explain, but you can just kind of pick up on people's energies. And when you're able to read people's body language and you kind of have that mindset of, I'm going to push this person to right. get off their rocker kind of and get them kind of confused. I mean, yeah, we can definitely take it there, but you won't see it coming usually. Yeah. Right. And by the time that happens, I'm laughing. <laughs> you already know what happens, and I'm laughing. <laughs> it's no, annoying. Facts. Vermilion Zach was different, bro. Like, I remember, actually, I think us living together was on your way, either back. I was in. Or you were in, so you must have been on your way back. I just hadn't been there yet, I think, to visit. So when I go visit the first time. And we all get in the car and we driving, we going to this party or something. And somebody came up to the car. I was like, I have an address. And he's in the back seat. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> I'm just like, who is this person? Drunk. And everybody in the car is like, yeah, the kids, yeah. Like all his friends. I'm like, fuck y'all doing over here, <laughs> Like, dude was a straight menace. Like, yeah. But no, it's, it's definitely been one of those things to... I was able to watch you too, kind of go through your changes and whatever it was. And you are also somebody that's been able to use, utilize that to your benefit. Again, somebody that's strong willed, somebody that is very confident in their abilities and not taking no for an answer. Right. Mm-hmm. With that mind game aspect that you play, it's been one of those things that, you know, you have your way with that, but it's a for a positive outcome. Yeah. Like you look at things in a different way than I feel like a lot of people, they don't see certain things, you know? And I think that's one of those good traits yeah. too, that you have. So again, yeah. somebody that I align myself with. So, yes, sir. You got to use them talents or them skills for good. Yeah. Know? Because I mean, there's so many people that use those in a negative way, which it would be very easy to, because people are very vulnerable and they right. don't even really know it. Just the way people walk, they're telling you everything you really need to know. I actually want to move this into, I mean, the aspect of growth. We each have our own story. And through that story, again, we had our own paths. And in those paths, some of them may have been harder than the other people's situations or anything like that. But what I know is at the end of it, there's always growth to it. So where you're at today and that growth aspect of everything you went through, all where nothing has changed because the person you are today obviously is a very valuable person um, on that. Now, what would you tell yourself, though, at 16, 17-year-old you on five tips, tricks, and hacks on how to overstep poverty and continue that mental aspect to continue to grow? The first thing I would tell myself at 16, 17 would be to listen now these necessarily don't go in order but i think that's the first thing that we should do we have two ears for a reason so i would tell 16 or 17 year old vante to listen or anybody that's that age that's coming up that doesn't really know what's going on get around people that have something going on because mm. sometimes i feel like we can get caught up in the mud to where it's like you just listening to people because you have a certain relationship with them or a certain bond or you're related to them or. Right. But more now than ever, 
somebody needs to be doing something that you're doing at the level you're doing it at or better. Yeah. Right. And that's who you listen to. Somebody that's making moves and making things happen. And so that's kind of where I would start there for. So number one, I would say, listen, number two, I would say, be patient. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of my problem too came from wanting to be out of a situation so bad or wanting to get through whatever was going on that I would become anxious. And I think that kind of creates anxiety. Right. So, you know, I'll just kind of, you know, tell that person, be patient, relax, do the best to relax and be patient. And just right. whatever storm is currently, you know, hovering, it's not going to last. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say for the number two. Number three, learn. Make sure you're learning positive things that, you know, benefit you that you could utilize. Right. Things that resonate with you. And I would also say make sure in this case of, you know, people doing things positive or making certain moves, not only do you need to learn things from them, but there's people that might have negative outlooks on life or that fail a certain kind of way due to whatever race or whatever the case may be. You can learn something from them too. People that yeah. mess up or the people that can't seem to do nothing right. You can learn something from that too. So right. there's that benefit of having a best of both worlds, learning what not to do. Yeah. And you know, right. adjacent to what, you know, learning what to do. So For sure. Learn from others mistakes. Exactly. And then for I got weed out negative people. If you have people around you that don't have no goals or admirations, things that they want out of life or they don't see nothing for themselves and this is just it. Right. Get far away from those people. Right. You got people that, you know, make you feel like anytime you bring something to them that you think of as like an idea or something positive that you're trying to do and they're not trying to figure out how they can support that and, you know, help that come to come to light. Get away from those people. Yeah, um, people that drain you, get away from those people. You do that, you start that at a young age, you'll be better off by the time you get to 30. Yeah, for sure. And then the last, whatever it is that you love to do, whatever it is that you're doing, go hard. Obviously, you're not going to be there always to put give something your all, you know, just because life has its ways of shifting your focus and draining you and from other avenues but i would say if it's something you're passionate about and it's something that's you know taking care of you or gonna take care of you your family whatever the case may be die about it yeah i love it you gotta get behind it burn the ships one last thing stand on your respect so i'm what gonna do you go, mean I'm gonna go six what do you mean by that so you know always give it first and foremost you have to give respect be respectful in any kind of way whether it's in you know social settings uh, business settings because there's a way you, you handle yourself, right? Like yeah. we've all alluded to how you handle anger and how you use it to your benefit. Right. And we as a community and as a culture have an issue with how we respond to disrespect. Mm -hmm. There's ways you can stand on your respect and also keeping it in a professional and or, you know, respectful way. So yeah, I think definitely don't let people play with you. And there's different perspective to that, right? Fact. Because I know there's been times where something will happen. You'll look at me like, how did you not? <laughs> whoop his ass or something. I'm like, 
just gotta let it go. Facts. You just gotta let it go. Cause if somebody can get you to the point where you could lose your freedom, mm. they got way too much control. Way over too you. much power. And mm. when you are able to really control your emotions or be conscious of where you're at with your emotions, you start to gain more control and you can more so see when somebody is trying to play mind games with you. Because some people will just play mind games with you just to get you out of your body, just to get you riled up because they know how to press those buttons. And you know they do too. And that can be some of the most frustrating stuff. It is because it's almost one of those things like, why do you, I think it's the why. Depending on what the relationship is, who's doing it, it becomes one of those things like, why are you playing with me like that? Mm -hmm. Like, what what is it? Mm -hmm. Like, because then you, as men, we start to question like, Lack of respect, like oh, you think I'm right. you think I'm soft or whatever the case may be, and, and then I think naturally that's where we respond is like, all right, I gotta show you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right, fam, I agree with that as well. But I think that takes us to the end of our podcast here. I want to thank Devante, DJ Vante, again you're, so you're. much for coming out of the podcast. You can catch him down at Lucky's. You can catch him down at uh, Bar Thirty Nine in Omaha. How often are you DJing at those places? So I DJ every first Friday at Lucky's. Okay. There is a new location opening up for Lucky's in June. So be on the lookout for that. And then, you know, with new openings, new beginnings comes more dates, more shows. So more opportunity. I'm going to be more out in the community. That's awesome. Come sooner here in Sioux Falls. And then I usually go down to Omaha about once or twice a month. Okay. And... You know, kind of put on for the 605 down there, too. And what is the name of your business? Beats by Tay. Beats by Beats Tay. By Tay. So if you're looking for any DJ services, definitely reach out to Devontae. And again, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Yes. Appreciate, appreciate you for having you. me. Oh, we got to do that on the podcast. Let them know. <laughs> All I'm saying <laughs> Did is. Did you forget? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overstepping Poverty. We hope you found this week's discussion informative and thought-provoking. We know that tackling poverty is a complex issue, but by working together and understanding the root causes, we can make progress towards creating a more equitable society. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Until next time, let's take the next steps in Overstepping Poverty.